Welcome to Adapt, episode 29, which is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, Mint Mobile, and Paperlike. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. Federico, have you come down from the high of WWDC yet? Uh, hi. Well, I'm not sure exactly. I still feel disoriented a little bit. Like I still feel like I have all this information in my head. And I'm still working on on making sense of what all the things that were announced last week, honestly. So I just feel like in this weird state of mind at the moment where on the one hand, I feel like I'm better positioned in terms of I know more about the new OS compared to this moment of the year in previous years. On the other hand, I feel like I've barely digested all the news and all the changes. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I think honestly, like, you know, I could use a, a, like a, a small break just to let all this information, all these details simmer in my brain for a while and, and make sense of it all. Because I just feel like a very, like, I just feel like my, my brain has accumulated all this information, all these details, all these features, and it's still trying to make sense of them all. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I yeah, can resonate okay. <laughs> with that as well. Like, the difference being that I think you have had to talk about these things a whole lot more. You've done so many podcasts over the last couple of weeks, <laughs> and, uh, and we're adding another one today. But uh, so I've, I feel like I've had a little more time to think and process uh, rather uh-huh. than just having to talk about it all the time. But uh, that's nice. I can tell you, though, that I feel like, um, and again, I may be wrong at the moment. I don't know. But I, I have a feeling that this year's review that I will be working on for iOS 14 and iPadOS 14 shouldn't be as tragic <laughs> as in previous years in terms of just the sheer scope of the story. Last year, it nearly destroyed me. You know, the fact that it was iOS 13 with a lot of features, a lot of design changes, a lot of changes to shortcuts, and iPadOS. And I decided to make it a single story. And it was a lot of work. It was my biggest review to date, my biggest story to date. And this year, like I'm working on my notes and I'm still organizing my notes. And yes, there are some big changes to talk about, big changes to shortcuts. There are some. Uh, of course, the home screen and the widgets, those are probably going to be like the biggest chapters of the story. But everything else, like I get, the more I work on my notes and the more I organize my notes, the more I feel like everything else is just a collection of smaller, nice, but smaller changes. So a lot of like app-related features, like here's what's new in notes, here's what's new in reminders and so forth. But the overarching themes and like the the bigger chapters to to focus on that shouldn't be so terrible after all so i have a good feeling so far it's gonna be a fun summer that's for sure mm. well, before we dive into our discussion of more apps so last episode we took a break from our series on using the ipad as a primary computer but we're going to get back to that today but before we do that for anyone who has not listened to last week's episode of connected i definitely recommend you go and listen to it because Federico, Stephen, and Mike got to interview a couple of people at Apple who work on the iPad, uh, specifically Jenny Chen, who works on Apple Pencil software, and Stephen Tana from Apple's product marketing team. Uh, It was a fantastic interview. It's episode 301 of Connected. We'll have a link in the show notes. 
if you, if you love the iPad, which obviously you do if you're listening to this podcast, you need to hear this interview. Uh, highly recommended. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Well, that said, we have a lot of apps to talk about today. Last time, we covered some really important categories of apps for the iPad, like task management, calendars, uh, note-taking, some of, some of my favorite types of apps that I use all the time. But there are so many more that we need to cover. And so uh, we just need to dive right into it today. And let's start with writing apps. Uh, there's a couple different categories I want to talk about within writing apps, you know, subcategories. Uh, so there are markdown editors, which Federico and I both write in markdown. Uh, everything that we publish at Mac Stories is written in markdown. I'm actually writing the show notes for this episode in markdown right now. And there are some excellent options on the App Store. Um, we're not going to be able to talk about all of them because there's too many, but we want to highlight just a few of them. Uh, the first one we'll mention is IA Writer, which I, I just need to cede the floor to Federico here because I, I've used IA Writer plenty. I think it's a fantastic app. There's lots of great things about it. But Federico, you use it as your primary Markdown editor. And so what, what is it that's so great about IA Writer that you would recommend to people? Yeah, so IA Writer is the first time a text editor I've been able to stick with it for longer than a year. I've been using this one for over two years at this point. And it's just so excellent for me for, for a couple of reasons. The, fir the, the first and the big one for me is the ability to create your own custom preview template. So when I write in Markdown, obviously I, I look at my text in Markdown and there's syntax highlighting and all these common features for a Markdown text editor. But when it comes to previewing the Markdown as HTML, IA Writer allows me to use my own custom theme. So I commissioned two years ago uh, the creation of two Mac Stories specific preview themes for IA Writer. So when I work on, on a story, I can um, preview it as HTML as it will look on the website. Like the preview theme actually, actually looks like Mac Stories with the logo and the header and the toolbar at the top. Like it looks like the website, but it's a local HTML preview of the article I'm working on. And the second preview theme that I have is based on my iOS, uh, on my annual iOS review template. So when I'm working on my iOS review in the summer, I have a theme in IE Writer that allows me to actually take a look at the review as it will look on the website, including like the custom table of contents and the custom pop-ups, all the things that I have on the website. I can preview the, uh, the review as it will look on the site while actually working in IE Writer. So custom themes are a big one for me. I would also mention the ability to open um, external folders in the app, so in the sidebar of IA Writer. And this is a feature that other text editors have now, but IA Writer has offered this ability for a long time. I can open in place a folder coming from a different application. So for example, I can open a folder from a GitHub repo in working copy inside IA Writer, and I can make changes to files containing that folder without actually duplicating them. So opening place support is really, really well done. And lastly, I mean, there's so much to cover about IE Writer, but I would just call out uh, content blocks, which is another feature that is unique to the app that I really use a lot. So the content blocks, um, is uh, it allows you to reference other documents, so other text documents, or files like images or CSV tables, for example, with a, sim with a simple syntax. Uh, it's like slash 
I don't know, let's say that you have a document called uh, document one. To create a content block in IE Writer, you can just enter slash document one dot txt, which will be the extension of the that file. And that content block, when you preview the uh, sort of your master document, the contents of that reference will be expanded within the document you're working on. So this becomes really fascinating because you can reference files located at the same level of the directory you're in, but you can also navigate into subfolders. So what I do for my longer stories is, for example, I can create a table of contents in IA Writer that has a bunch of content block references, and each content block is a chapter of a story. And then when I preview my file called tableofcontents.md, and I preview it in HTML, it actually takes the text of all the chapters and compiles everything into a single copy, which is just amazing because a single file compiles all the chapters, but it doesn't have to be one long document. And I can also reference local images. So during the summer, when I work on my iOS review, I can save it, like temporary screenshots as local images in my iCloud drive. And in IA Writer, I can reference those images in the text with a content block. And when I preview the review, they look like screenshots that have been uploaded to our CDN, but they actually are local images referenced as a content block. It's very nerdy, and I've written about this before on Mac Stories, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I could talk about this app for hours, so it's good that Ryan is actually talking about other text editors, because otherwise I could just go on. So yeah, I love it. Well, the problem is that the next app that I'm going to mention is an app that I could talk about for hours. Perfect. <laughs> uh, okay. So this can be just the text editor uh, episode. No, we we need to we need to go fast. So the next app is Ulysses. Ulysses is my markdown editor of choice. I have used it for years now and there's so much that I love about it. I I can't go into all the details. It has many of the fe- great features that Federico mentioned with IA Writer. Um so lots of that is there as well. But the thing that the really endears you know ulysses to me is that it has a unique approach to markdown which i I really haven't found in other markdown editors and it is a turnoff for lots of people who write in markdown so the app is definitely not for everyone but what it does is it where it can where appropriate ulysses tries to hide the markdown syntax so that what you see is a more of a representation of what will be seen when that document you're working on is in its final form, whether that is published on the web, whether it's turned into a PDF or something else. Um, Ulysses tries to give you an idea of what it's going to look like through its styling and through hiding things that you don't necessarily need to see. Um, One great example of this is its handling of links. Um, So the way that Ulysses handles links is you do not see the URL unless you tap or click on the the text that has that URL embedded and then it'll show it to you but normally you don't see it and and I love this like I I don't like to see all the extra syntax of a URL in the body of my article like I feel like it gets in the way of the words that I'm actually writing the point of what I'm writing is not you know the URL of something that I'm linking and so I love that it's hidden behind a uh, a little content block it does this as well for um, things like images. Uh, Ulysses has a really great image preview feature where you can put an image in there. 
even one that is uh, stored somewhere remotely on the web. So Federico, you mentioned our Mac Stories CDN for images. Uh, I can paste in the link for an image that's been uploaded to our CDN, and I don't see the link in Ulysses. All I see is the image, which is exactly what I want to see. I, I want the the text editor that I'm writing in to as much as possible preview what that article, what that document is going to look like in its final published form. So Ulysses is one of the only apps that does this in this exact way, and, and I love it. Um, one other thing that I'll mention is it has a really great publishing system and export system where the, there's a lot of different export options. Um, the one that I use the most is publishing to WordPress, and it's a really smooth, simple flow from writing your article to then previewing it and publishing on WordPress all from within Ulysses. There's a lot that's great about this app. I've written about it a lot on Mac Stories. Um, I can't speak highly enough of it, but we need to move on. Um, another Markdown editor, the last one that we'll mention is OneWriter. And OneWriter has been around a long time. It is a really great kind of um, easy to get into Markdown editor where it doesn't you know, throw a lot of complex things in your face, and uh, it, you can use it just very simply if you'd like. Uh, one of the great advantages is it has and always has had strong Dropbox support. So if you're not a fan of either iCloud Drive, which iWriter uses, or CloudKit, which Ulysses uses, I mean, there are some other options with those apps as well. But OneWriter, you know, from the beginning, I believe, was built for Dropbox syncing, and so. Uh, if you like to keep a lot of your stuff in Dropbox, it's a great solution. Yeah. And then there's also some nice scripting options, um, which I, personally I haven't done much with, but I, I know I've, I've read different things that you've done in the past, Federico, uh, with JavaScript or the different URL actions that you can yep. use in the app uh, to do things like create templates or other advanced actions. So OneWriter is a great uh, alternative if you, you know, if iWriter or Ulysses isn't quite the app for you, I'd point you in that direction. Now, there's also rich text and word processors that we need to talk about. And uh, there's just a few I'll mention real quick. Pages by Apple is really, in my mind, a great app. Uh, they have continued to make it better on a regular basis. They continue to add great new features to it. I love using Pages. I, I kind of wish that Pages supported Markdown so that I could use it sometimes as a Markdown editor when I need it that way, but but it doesn't. Um, but it there's just... There's a lot in there. Um, now you can publish books from pages. And since Apple is discontinuing uh, iBooks author on the Mac, pages, I, I assume, is going to get even more features for publishing books. Um, but yeah, it's just a really solid. Apple's done a great job with it, um, as they have, I think, with the other iWork apps. Uh, Microsoft Word, as well, is a really nice iPad app. Um, I haven't used the Mac version in a while, and so I'm not quite sure how feature parity compares between the two apps. Um, from what I understand, Word on the iPad is really close to having lots of the functionality that is on the Mac. Um, you know, a few years back, that wasn't the case, but Microsoft continues to do a lot of work making Word better. And so if, you know, if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, um, and you, maybe you've got to use Word for work, then it's a really good experience on the iPad. And then finally, Scrivener. Scrivener has a reputation as being a great app for people who write novels or other long-form work because it has this interesting system for storing research material. 
Um, essentially, you can have all these different um, folders of research material right alongside your writing. You can quickly access them all from the same app. And uh, there's things like a pinboard view where you can kind of see maybe the flow of different chapters in a book that you're working on or, you know, characters and other things that um, where you want to kind of get an overview of all the different information you have. Um, there's some really nice options in Scrivener. Uh, it doesn't get updated very often. Um, it's It seems like it's maybe once or twice a year that the app will get updated. So it's not exactly the best iPadOS citizen uh, taking advantage of, you know, modern iPadOS functionality. But if, you know, you're into uh, writing long form stuff that uses rich text, there's a lot of interesting, unique features that Scrivener has that you may not find elsewhere. Yeah. So Federico, let's talk about PDFs. What are what are the PDF options that are out there? Okay, so I was thinking about this category and and I think I've come to this conclusion. There are a lot of PDF apps for the iPad. Most of them are roughly comparable to each other, right? They have a basic PDF view and they let you annotate your PDF document and they let you export your annotations. And I've done a lot of research in this field because PDF is the format that, and I've talked about this over and over on Connected and App Stories, it is the file format that I'm using for my, again, for the iOS review. All the research material that I have, I save as a PDF, and I take my notes in the PDF document. And I think there are two, like, different categories of apps when it comes to PDF mm, documents. There's the traditional PDF viewer and the traditional like PDF document manager. And there's the research-heavy, research-focused PDF app. So I'm going to be talking about two examples for each of these two subcategories. When it comes to the, like, the standard sort of PDF experience, so you have a PDF and you need to fill out a form or you need to annotate the PDF or you need to merge pages, you need to enter your signature, like the sort of the standard operations for a PDF, I think you cannot go wrong with two of these options. Um, PDF Expert by Riedel and PDF Viewer. Uh, both are really, really excellent apps. Uh, PDF Expert is made by Riedel um, and PDF Viewer is made by the same team behind PS PDF Kit, which is a framework for PDFs that a lot of developers use. Now, both of them are excellent. And really, for me, the choice comes down to a single implementation detail, which is PDF Viewer uses, uh, uses the native files document browser as the standard view of the app. So this means that you don't have a custom library of documents in PDF Viewer. PDF Viewer uses files as its default view. So when you open the app, you don't see like a custom file manager you actually see your iCloud drive and your third-party file providers and your local storage. And you can open in place anything you want. You can create folders anywhere. You can just open any document from files. You can make changes and you can close and you can go and you go back to files. It's not a separate file manager. Whereas PDF Expert is more of a, on the, on the other uh, end of the spectrum, it is based on its own uh, library view and it, it does not work with the document browser uh, like PDF Viewer does. I will say that, visually speaking, 
I prefer the aesthetic of PDF Expert. I think it looks really nice. Like, it's very nicely designed. And it's got, like, these custom popovers that look, look really great. And the icons look fantastic. And if you're going to be spending a lot of time editing your PDF documents, I mean, you probably want your app of choice to look great. Not that PDF viewer does not look nice, but I, I do prefer the, the Riddle aesthetic in this case. And of course, both apps support all the standard features that you would expect. Um, you can merge and crop pages. You can have different styles of annotations. You can have highlighters. You can have pens and markers. You can export your annotations. You can view a summary of your annotations. Really, feature-wise, the differences aren't so many. And I think you can try both apps for free, and so you can decide what works best for you. Um, PDF Expert is really solid when it comes to editing PDF documents. Um, the app has this tab-based UI that lets you easily switch between annotation mode and editing mode. And editing mode is really impressive in that it lets you fully edit a PDF document as if it were uh, uh, like, like a text document. You can select any field and change the text or change the fonts. You can add links. You can change the images. It really feels like um, sort of like a, like a publishing application, like a desktop publishing application. It lets you fully control your PDF document. And um, personally, again, as I mentioned, I use PDF Viewer because it integrates with files, but I prefer the look of PDF Expert. So um, yeah, they're, re they're both really solid and it really comes down to what you're looking for here. In the research field... There are some really interesting options as well. Um, one of them is Liquid Text. Liquid Text, which we've covered on Mac Stories before, has this really unique approach to allowing you to edit, well, allowing you to annotate your PDF documents and extract information from them. It's called Liquid Text because it uh, opening a PDF document in this app, it kind of feels like it's very fluid in the sense that you can zoom in and zoom out and you can take all of your annotations and all of your excerpts and manage them like in a sort of a mind map type of view. It's a very tactile experience and it's very unique. I uh, highly recommend checking out some of the videos that the app, that the developers have on YouTube to get a sense of how it works and how it looks like. It's very much geared uh, to students and academics and folks who really need to do a lot of research in a lot of PDF documents, usually long PDF documents, I would also say. The other app that I want to mention that I personally use, that I'm using this year to manage my iOS review and all the information coming from all those PDF documents that I have, is Highlights. Highlights was long available as a Mac-only application. It came out on iOS and iPadOS. A few months ago, we have a review on Mac Stories. John took a look at the app on iPhone and iPad. And I love highlights for the same reason why I use PDF Viewer. It's based on the document browser. Uh, so it allows me to open any PDF document from anywhere, make my own annotations, and go back to a different document. So with highlights, I can navigate to the DevonThink location because DevonThink is the app that I use to store my PDF documents. But DevonThink is also a file provider. So I can actually browse my DevonThink PDFs in the Files app and therefore in apps like Highlights. So with the Highlights, I can navigate to the DevonThink folder, open a PDF document, highlight the passages that I want to extract. And something that is really neat about Highlights is that it has its own split view 
for viewing the document and your notes and your annotations at the same time on screen. So that's really handy. And if you subscribe to the pro version of Highlights, you can also automatically sort your annotations based on color. And you can also rename your colors and like come up with this custom annotation system that works specifically for you. And uh, yeah, Highlights, because of the split view that it has and because of the integration with files is the one that I'm currently using. All right, we have a lot more apps to talk about, but let me thank our first sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Text Expander boosts your business productivity by allowing your team to communicate smarter, faster, and more consistently across all your channels. The app is built with collaboration in mind. You don't have to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them. Just store them in Text Expander instead. Text snippets can benefit not just your personal use, but that of your entire team as well. Imagine email templates that are shared among your team or standard copy for customer service responses. This is all possible with Text Expander. And you can use your snippets anywhere you type. Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web browsers, any place you frequently type the same things. And Text Expander for Teams makes it easy to manage and share snippets across your entire company. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Adapt listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. That's TextExpander.com slash podcast to get 20% off your first year of service. Our thanks to TextExpander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk video calling apps. Federico... Lots of the world has been doing a lot of video calling these last several months. H have you been doing a lot of video calls as well? Uh, not, not so many, fortunately, because I don't really like video calls. I prefer audio. I'm a podcaster, Ryan. <laughs> well, there are some pros and cons to doing video calls on the iPad. Mostly cons, I would say, although there are some good things about it. Um, so first off, before we even talk about some specific apps, some of the cons... Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but on the iPad Pro, the front-facing camera is on the left side of the display when you're using it in landscape mode, which if you're using an iPad Pro, you know, you probably have it attached to a keyboard a fair amount of the time, and so that camera is not in the ideal position. Uh, you could certainly, you know, use your iPad in portrait orientation if you'd like, but then your kind of video layout doesn't match with most people that you're probably on a call with who are almost certainly using their Mac or some other, you know, PC laptop to do the video call. And so they have this nice, you know, uh, landscape, uh, wide horizontal view. And so you don't want to be the only one that's using portrait orientation. But it just doesn't, you know, it's it's hard to look like you are looking at the camera while also looking at other people it's just not a great placement i hope they change that in the next ipad pro um, besides that though probably the biggest disadvantage is that with most video apps you cannot have your video running while using other apps so you can't multitask while on a video call uh, unless you want your camera to turn off so it's just the way that iPadOS is built right now, which I'm, again, I'm hoping will change in the future. Um, but 
partly for security reasons, I suppose, uh, you cannot have the video on your camera running at all. And this doesn't just apply to video calling apps. Um, try to use some other app like a, a document scanning app. If you try to put the, uh, the app that you're using in a split view with another app, then you will notice that the camera shuts off. And so this isn't ideal because, you know, for me personally, I have used the iPad Pro as my primary computer for so many years, and I've really never run into, you know, hangups anymore where the iPad can't do something that I want it to do. But recently, I have had a lot of video calls, and essentially, if I'm using my iPad for a video call, it just becomes a video call device and I can't do anything else with it. I can't take notes while I'm in a meeting. Uh, I can't do any of these other things if I wanna keep my video running, if I wanna keep the camera running. And that's just a really unfortunate limitation if you're doing a lot of video calls. And so something to be aware of um, on the side of pros, you know, one nice thing about this, I guess, extra level of security that's built in, which, you know, I, I do think that it was built for security, but I think Apple could do something that's still secure while, you know, enabling you to do multitasking. But one nice thing about this is that with a Mac, there are, because there's a lot more freedom for app developers to kind of tap into different parts of the system and run things in the background, you're never quite sure, you know, what's going on with your uh, device and the camera specifically. I mean, you see a lot of people who kind of cover the uh, the front-facing camera on their Mac. The uh, what is it called? The the eye eye camera, or I don't eyesight. Eyesight. I think it's called eyesight. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that name needs to be retired. Um, but I think it's called eyesight on the iPhone too. Maybe uh, is it? Uh, okay. I'm gonna check, okay. but I think I've seen it somewhere. Like it's a name that I don't know why it's still called that, but I think they have reused it. Well, whatever the case may be, with the iPad, because things are more locked down overall in the OS, you can have a little more uh, peace of mind, I suppose, that hopefully people aren't snooping on you or apps aren't using the the camera when they shouldn't be. Um, And even in iOS and iPadOS 14, one of the new changes is that anytime the camera is activated, you will see this little, very tiny orange dot up in the corner of the screen. Uh, and it's just a, a reminder that, oh, hey, your camera's in use right now. Uh, I've noticed also something that's nice is after I finished a call, uh, if I open Control Center, it will show me that you know Zoom was recently using my camera. So there's some nice touches in there. So from a security standpoint, perhaps the iPad is a little better as a video calling device than the Mac. But from most other you know standpoints, it's it's not. Um, Let me talk about the apps real quick. So FaceTime is obviously the built-in default. And FaceTime gets special privileges like lots of Apple apps often do. FaceTime supports picture-in-picture. And the um, the way that that works when you're doing a video call on the iPad is that you can keep your camera running while multitasking, while doing other things in different apps. And so I can keep my note taking app on screen and have a picture-in-picture window of a FaceTime call and keep my camera active that whole time. Other popular video apps, and, and I've tried I've tried a bunch of them. Maybe there's one out there that, you know, that is an exception, but other popular video apps that I've tried, um, they do not support picture-in-picture, and I don't know if that's 
you know, the app developer is just choosing not to do that, or if it's a restriction in the OS where Apple just hasn't given that privilege to people. I'm not quite sure. I've done some research and I haven't found an answer on that. So that's something to keep in mind. FaceTime is really nice if you want to multitask, but most businesses don't use FaceTime for their video calls. Uh, Zoom is an extremely popular uh, video calling platform right now. I've done a lot of Zoom calls in recent months. And uh, the iPad experience has actually gotten better. They've made the app a bit better over time. Um, One of the nice things about it is that you can do a grid view uh, like you can on the Mac. It doesn't show quite as many people as the Mac app does. That's something to keep in mind. Um, But there's actually a pretty good iPad experience with Zoom other than, as I mentioned, you can't multitask. Google Meet is, it's, it's okay. The app is not great. Um, Google Meet recently added a tile view so you can see multiple people at once and the app doesn't support that. You can only do that on the web. And one of the things that, you know, is a benefit of iPadOS as of last year is that Safari is much more like a desktop class browser than it used to be. And so you actually can do Google Meet calls in Safari and that might be your best way to do it. Uh, It'll let you access the tile view so that you're not just seeing one person at a time. I've, I've had some issues where Google Meet on the web works inconsistently on the iPad. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily the best solution. What I do now is I keep the Google Meet app installed, but then I also sometimes do it on the web. And uh, just a little, you know, tip for people who do a lot of Google Meet calls. Normally, if you have the app installed and you click on a Google Meet link, then because of deep linking, you will open it in the app rather than going to the web version. But one way to go to a web version is to you know, right click or long press on that link and choose the open in background or open a new tab option. And that will actually open the web version. So you can keep the, the Google Meet app installed, but also use the web version when you want to. I feel like that's enough for video calls. Uh, I, I hope I haven't bored you to death, Federico, since this isn't no. a regular part of your life. But no. um Let's talk about a subject that both of us and I know a lot of our listeners are sure to care about, and that is email. What's what's the well, email I'll, situation on iPad? I will repeat the, let's just call it an aphorism, maybe, of my friend Mike Hurley, who said that no email apps are good. And I subscribe to that theory that there are some there are many options for email on iOS and iPadOS, but no email apps are good. That includes Mail, the Apple Mail app, which I use out of frustration with all the other third-party options. My problem with email is that hmm, there's no perfect combination of the features that I want. And all of these apps that I'm about to mention, they each have a really particular opinion about how to do email and they have some great features but there's there's not a single app that has all the features i want in the same app in the same package in the same offering we talked about this before i believe on app stories where john and i try to imagine our perfect email client which obviously does not exist and uh yeah i'm just gonna go through some of these options and again my belief and Mike's belief that no email apps are good does not mean that you shouldn't like the email client that you use. It's just that we've tried so many. Believe me, 
I search every few months, I open the app store, I search for email and all the icons that don't have the redownload button next to them, I try them. Even if they're paid apps, I go in there and I download them all because I really want to try them all, just like I did for task managers. So before you send the tweet, oh, have you tried this app? Believe me, I have. Unless it's like it came out in the past two weeks, I have. Um, So these are just some of the highlights. Gmail. I mean, the standard free Gmail app. If you're a Gmail user, it actually got a bit better over the years. I'm not sure, Ryan, maybe you know, does it support Split View on iPad now? Because it didn't used to support it. It finally it, supports Split View on finally iPad. Supports and, Split View. and let me say, this is a very recent update because I... Yeah. I've, I, Split View came out in 2015, by the, by yeah, the way. It, <laughs> it, it is literally within the last month, maybe two, because I use the Gmail app a lot. Unfortunately, I, I have to for another project, but it this is a very new thing. So it's it's been... <laughs> It's been a very long time, but they have After finally brought years. yes, they finally brought Split View support to the iPad. Yeah, so the standard Gmail experience—if you rely on the Gmail stuff, like uh, I mean, it's got the best support for Gmail search and for labels. Uh, I believe you can use some of the Gmail integrations that you enable via the desktop web app, stuff like Evernote, for example. You can also use those integrations in the mobile version once you add them as extensions from the web app. Uh, and I mean, it looks, I like the design, okay? I think it looks nice. And if you live in the Gmail ecosystem, I think this is by, by far the best native Gmail experience you can use. Uh, of course, it doesn't support all of the native uh, iOS and iPadOS features. Uh, keyboard shortcuts, I believe they use their own custom ones. Split View was added, as Ryan mentioned, recently after five years uh, since it's been available. I don't think drag and drop is supported and you will not find support for things like shortcuts. You know, all these native iOS integrations you will not have here. But if you want to have a native, like real Gmail experience, this is a really good one. Similarly, if you don't live in the Gmail and in the Google ecosystem, but if you live in the Microsoft ecosystem, you cannot go wrong with Outlook. Outlook, it allows you to use other email accounts, including Gmail, of course, and you can use your own IMAP account, of course, in Outlook too. But I think it really shines when combined with the Office 365 ecosystem and with an Outlook email address. Because Outlook, it tries to combine multiple features into the same email client experience. Of course, it's an email client, it's a, ta- it's a calendar, and it's also a task manager. So you can have all these integrations in the, into the same email app and it becomes like, if you, if, you, if you live in that ecosystem, you can use Outlook as like a single dashboard for your work in a way because you can have your email communications and your calendar and your tasks and invitations that come over from email all in the same app. And what is also nice is that they have this custom search page that it's not just for searching email messages, but it also provides provides you with shortcuts to contacts that you frequently talk to. And it's a very quick way to find all attachments that you received over email. And then, of course, those attachments, you can quickly open and edit in other Microsoft apps like Word and Excel. So if you live in that ecosystem, the app looks great, by the way. It looks really nice. It's, it's updated more frequently 
than the Google apps. I think Microsoft is, is doing a better job at supporting Apple platforms than Google. So that's very nice to, to see. And of course, it, it comes with all these modern uh, features that are sort of expected in modern email clients. Like there's a special inbox mode. It's I think it's called the focused inbox that allows you to only see what the service believes are the most important messages, like removing all the noise from the really important stuff. And you have the ability to snooze messages and you can customize your swipe actions. It's really well done. Uh, but of course, it, it really shines when combined with the lock-in of the Microsoft ecosystem. Now, the next three are more general-purpose email clients. The first one I will mention, which I personally use when I, for very specific instances, is Spark by Riddle. Spark is an email client that allows you to use any email account, including your own IMAP account, and it looks lovely. I really like the design, especially since the redesign that they launched last year. What Riddle has been doing, sort of they've been pivoting, as they say, with Spark over the past year, is they've tried to high, they try to sell Spark as an email app for teams. So Spark has the, all these team collaboration features built in. They are optional, and you can actually try them for free. But then if you want, of course, you can also sign up and become a paying member. And what, what Spark does really well is these team features, they allow you to collaborate with email, which is something that some other email apps do, but none of them I find as elegant or as integrated with iOS as Spark. So for example, you can share an email message with somebody without having to do the like forward this message and then the person that receives the forwarded message does not see the original sender. It sees you as the sender because you forwarded the email. Spark actually lets you share a message with somebody else. And when you share it, the other person sees the message as it originally came in with the original sender. So if you receive a message, for, for example, sometimes I receive an email message, but it's not for me. It's for John. And with Spark, I or I want John to take care of it, maybe. With Spark, I can just share the message with John and John will see the message in, in his inbox and he will be able to reply to that message as if it originally came to him. So that's very nice. And of course, you can also um, leave comments on email messages. Like you can have a conversation, you can have a discussion around an email message with your team without the original sender seeing that conversation. So if a message comes in, I can leave a comment below that message and say, hey, John, can you take care of this? And the sender will not see that conversation. That conversation is private to us of the Mac Stories team. So it's a way to add, sort of add context, add a conversation around an email message. So the team features and the team collaboration stuff is really well done. And you can try them for free, which is incredible. Uh, and then if you want to have more team members or additional features, you can, of, of course, sign up for a subscription. Really well done. Looks really nice. Uh, Spark, uh, just like PDF Expert, I really like the modern Riddle aesthetic myself. Um, Canary Mail. So this one is interesting. Canary Mail, I believe it started as a privacy and security-focused email client. I believe it's one of the very few email clients on iOS and iPadOS that, and on the Mac, because they also have a Mac version, that allows you to do that and I'm going to get the terminology wrong here, and I apologize. 
but they let you do that stuff with like encrypted email messages with like the, your PGP encryption key and all that kind of stuff. Like if you're the kind of user that needs to send messages with encryption and make sure that the other person knows it was exactly you to send that message, Canary Mail lets you do all this. It's got support for PGP, whatever it's called, encryption in settings. Um, Canary Mail actually surprised me. It looks like a, like a pro version of Apple Mail. It's got that default look with the large headlines and the San Francisco font that I really like. But it sprinkles a bunch of additional features on top of a relatively standard layout. So um, this app, I believe, offered dark mode before dark mode was a feature on iOS and, I, and iPadOS. Um, it's got additional filters for searching your email. It allows you to, um, let's see, let me remember because it's been a while since I played with this. Uh, so encryption I mentioned, you have templates. Of course, you don't have templates in Apple Mail. You can snooze. You can have um, notifications for when somebody reads your email messages. You can have, um, you can tap on uh, the profile pictures for uh, your contacts to have like a, a contact profile page. You can have filters in your inbox for your favorite content for your favorite contacts. You can quickly unsubscribe from newsletters. So it does look, yeah, I think the it looks like a pro version of Apple Mail. I think that that description fits. So uh, go check it out. It's available on all platforms. They also have an Apple Watch version, and the design uh, it looks really nice if you like that default Apple aesthetic. Uh, feels right at home, especially on iOS. Lastly, I will mention AirMail now. Airmail, personally speaking, used to be king of like the power user email client market. And then the app got a lot of criticism when they when the developers announced they were switching to a subscription model last year. I believe it was last year. And you know how these things go. Maybe, maybe the developers could have communicated the switch better. Uh, still, a lot of people, I think they got a lot more upset and angry about this as they really should have. I mean, if you don't like a developer going the subscription, just, you know, use something else. You don't need to harass the developer. You don't need to leave those kinds of negative and angry reviews on the App Store. Just use something else, and I think it's fine. However, I will say, Ryan, that after a long period of time, I recently played with Airmail again, and I paid for a month because I wanted to check out the app again, and I found it much better than I remembered. I found it a lot more stable than it used to, fewer visual glitches than ever, so really a lot more polish and a lot more stability. Still not perfect, but a lot better than I remembered. And the developers added even more power user features. So, if you're the kind of person who likes to customize everything about your email experience and have all kinds of settings, want to have all kinds of app integrations, settings over like the way your conversations are displayed, uh, fully customize and design your own custom action menu for email messages, boy, you're going to have fun with Airmail because they have so many options to, to tweak and configure it's incredible. And they have app integrations. They have shortcuts integration. They have Siri support. Uh, they support multi-window, drag and drop. Um, it's really well done. 
And maybe you have, like, maybe you were, you know, you were bothered by the switch to subscription before. I would say play around with it for a, for a month again and see if you like it. Because I bet that a lot of a lot of adapt listeners maybe used to use Airmail a while back and haven't checked out the app in a while. And I personally found it a lot better than I remember Airmail, Airmail being. So it was definitely a surprise of the research that I've done for this episode. Then I would, you know, again, check it out for like a month. It's fine. You can pay like, a, what is it, like $3, $4 for a month. And you can see if you like it again. Well, that's a lot of email apps. I actually want to yeah. ask you about one more. And I'm not sure if it's on the iPad or not, but the the email app that's been in a lot of conversation recently oh, no. is a new one called Hey. Oh, no. Yeah. Is, is, hey, um, is Hey on the iPad or is it iPhone only? It is. It is. Have you it played is around the, with it at all? Well, I think it's on the app. So, no, because I am really intrigued by Hey. I will say this. I'm really intrigued by, you know, I have a lot of friends who I really respect. And they told me, look, this is like the biggest thing that has happened to email since Gmail. Like, it's got a bunch of ideas that are really innovative, that are really new and powerful. So, I want to check it out. Here's my problem, though. I don't, I don't have a personal email address that I can just put into Hey and check out. Because all of my email, this is a decision that I, uh, that I you know, put in place years ago and I've always respected. All of my email goes through my work email address. Even, and maybe this is wrong, but even things like my, my energy bill. I receive a notification in my work email address and I have SaneBox uh, automatically filter that for me in a specific folder. I don't want to be in a situation where I need to manage multiple email accounts again. I used to work like that six years ago, and it was just a lot of work. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a single email account, which is my work account, and everything will go through that. And then I will use folders to separate the different kinds of messages that I receive. So like all my test flight uh, emails for betas go into a folder. All my newsletters go into a different folders. Uh, all my energy bill and like personal stuff go into a folder. But then all other email communications are just like work-related communications. Like Mac stories and the podcasts are all I do. Like I don't, I don't talk over email with like friends. Uh, other communications happen for me in different services. I, uh, I'm in a bunch of slacks. I'm in a bunch of discords. I don't talk over email with other people. And so I cannot use Hey right now because I cannot use it with my at maxstories.net email address. And also at maxstories, we use uh, Google Apps. It's called G Suite now, I guess. Uh, we use it for not just for email and not just for like storage and Google Drive, but for a bunch of authentication services that you get when you set up a company in G Suite. So we have a, cust- a bunch of custom integrations and services that use the atmaxstories.net and Google integration to allow us to work and collaborate on specific like custom web apps that we created for the team. And so because I don't have a personal email address, I don't feel compelled to try Hey, and I think it's going to be a while. You know, even if I could set up uh, viticia maxstories.net in Hey, then I will lose all these integrations that I get with G Suite. And so it's really, it's really 
difficult for me to to say, well, I'm just gonna take the bl- take the plunge and switch to hey, because so much of what I do that is email related, it's not just email for me. It's about the like the identity of each team member for the G Suite plan that we're on. So yeah, this is the problem with like having your all your email go into the same into the same address. Uh, you're locked into that address. And I, you know, I, why should I set up, you know, vitici at hey.com? Who am I going to talk to? You know, all my email communication happens from the Mac Stories account. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. This episode of Adapt is brought to you by Mint Mobile, the folks who can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month with their futuristic approach to wireless. I don't know about you, but my wireless cellular bill has been going up slowly but steadily over the years, and frankly, it has gotten a little bit ridiculous at this point. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers this year, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, there's ample opportunity to take advantage of paying customers like you. This is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you, making it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you can stop paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. Just choose the plan that works for you. There's 3, 8, and 12 gigabyte options for 4G LTE data. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. And keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Just ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com adapt. That's mintmobile.com slash adapt. Go there now and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash adapt. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for their support of Adapt and all of Relay FM. So Federico, earlier you talked about research in the context of PDF apps, yeah. but there are some other research apps that you want to mention as well, right? Yes, I would like to mention three of them again. The first one is Notebooks. So Notebooks, I have tried over the years. It it is one of those apps that has been around forever on the App Store. I think like iCab, it's been one of the the apps that has been around since the early days of the App Store. And Notebooks, it's a really powerful app that does a lot of things it doesn't necessarily work for me personally because it does more than than I need a research app to do for me. But I will say this. So, notebooks, it allows you to collect documents and notes. You can write in Markdown. You can save images. You can generate EPUB documents using notebooks. It's like this database for everything right? Uh, that lets you organize all of your research material with these notebooks, hence the name of the app. And then you have a lot of really powerful exporting options, including like you can, cre- you can write 
and edit and design and export an ebook using notebooks on your iPad. And I think that that is why I cannot use notebooks personally because all the ebooks that I create for my reviews are generated with a custom script on the Mac. We use a uh, Pandoc. Pandoc is a is a like a, a shell uh, utility that. Uh, well, actually, it's like a custom. Of course, being Mac stories, it's a customized version of Pandoc that also uses a bunch of like custom additions made by Brett Terpstra. Anyway, uh, Notebooks is this really powerful. Uh, database application that lets you collect all kinds of documents and lets you export them in a bunch of different formats from Markdown and HTML to EPUB. It's got a lot of features. I recommend uh, checking out the developer's website to get a sense of like the sheer scope of notebooks. It's really incredible. Not for me because I don't need to have, you know, all these kinds of like different options for exporting documents. And also... Like Markdown is one of the big functionalities of notebooks, but I prefer IA Writer. So uh, it doesn't work for me, but I know a lot of people who have been using notebooks for years, and it's definitely worth checking out. And I can recommend it because I know that it's quality work. And developer, I want to say Alfonso Schmidt is the developer, has been working on this for years. So it's one of those like indie developers that has made uh, you know their lives work this product, and so I think that's really commendable and it's really remarkable. Uh, I want to mention Keep It, also made by another indie developer, Steve Harris of Reinvented Software. Now, Keep It would be my recommendation if you're looking for a simplified... No, simplified is not the right term. If you're looking for a more Apple-like take on DevonThink, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes, Keep It is the closest to that idea. So, Kipit is like Devon Think. It's an application that lets you collect all kinds of files, PDF documents, web archives, web pages in, in, in HTML, text clippings, images. You can throw anything into Kipit and you can store it and you can organize it with, with folders and tags. What Kipit does differently than Devon Think is Keep it as, I believe, almost complete feature parity with the macOS version. You can create, this is one of the very few apps that allows you to create smart folders on iOS and iPadOS with desktop class filtering criteria. It's just like the Finder, but for Keep it on iOS and iPadOS. You can create uh, filters for tags and file names and dates, just like, again, created a smart folder in Mail or Finder on the Mac. You can do so and keep it. And so you can organize all of your research material with these smart folders. And then, of course, you can also um, save web pages for offline usage. Keepit was one of the first apps to fully support the web archive format on iOS and iPadOS. You can store PDF documents. And there's really powerful search that uses OCR on your documents. Uh, to let you retrieve the and search and retrieve the contents of your documents. And keep it looks like it was made by Apple. It's got that default look, again, like Canary Mail. It really looks like a native experience. It doesn't have any, like Devon think you can tell that it's like a, a third-party app, right? Because it's got like these custom colors and this custom iconography and these custom pop-up menus. 
Kipit looks like it was made by Apple. And of course, it uses iCloud Sync and everything is encrypted. Uh, it's really well done and it's subscription-based, but you can try it out for free. So uh, if you're looking for a, a, a sort of a database application that doesn't have all the features of notebooks, but that looks like looks like a native part, like, like that looks like, an, again, it looks like it was made by Apple in the best possible way. Uh, so keep it is definitely worth a look. Devon Think is the is what I use. It's a powerhouse of uh, database management, especially if you also have Devon Think on the Mac and you sync uh, your databases between the iOS, HyperOS, and macOS versions. I use Devon Think because of the sheer amount of power user features that this app provides you with. Um, the most impressive part about DevonThink is the search engine. DevonThink allows you to use these complex and advanced search operators that usually you don't see. Like you may be used to search operators like these Boolean search operators like and or 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 not. These are like the, the, the Boolean search uh, syntax that you may have seen on Google, for example. Um, DevonThink goes well beyond that with operators like nearby, or there's another one called XOR. It's really wild, the, like, the searches that you can put together in DevonThink and just how fast it is to scan the contents of your PDF documents or your you know, text files and find them again. And what I really like about DevonThink, as I mentioned, it, it is also a file provider on iOS. Keepit is also a file provider, by the way, so you can open your uh, Keepit documents via the document browser from other apps. And DevonThink, of course, I also own the Mac version. So on the Mac, there's a lot more features. You can create smart folders. Uh, you can change the icons of your folders on the Mac. Uh, and those custom icons are actually reflected on iOS as well. And DevonThink... They are the developers are kind of slow when it comes to updates for the mobile version for the iOS and, and, and iPadOS version, but I know that they are focused on updating the mobile experience this year. I'm on the test flight for the upcoming version for iPhone and iPad, and I think it's going to be really good. And they are very receptive to feedback in the forums. So that one thing is what I use. Uh, if you want to store PDF documents and web archives. Really, it's a, between DevonThink and Keep It. I would say it's a matter of, just like with PDF apps, it's a matter of like your personal preferences for very specific aspects. And on the other hand, if you need to store Markdown and if you want to generate eBooks and if you want to have a lot more exporting options, I would say go with Notebooks. We have a lot more apps to talk about, so I, I feel like we're going to need to speed up a little bit, Federico. You think we, we can handle that? Okay, Sketching apps. There are a few sketching apps I want to mention. First is Linnea Sketch, which is by the Icon Factory. Uh, a fantastic app. It's been around for a while now. Um, what I want to commend about Linnea Sketch is that it's the first app I remember seeing really optimize for the Apple Pencil in a unique way. And uh, what they did is in the UI itself, uh, Linnea implemented an option to make various controls uh, really small, like so small that they really aren't great for, you know, tapping with your finger and using touch input, but they work perfectly when you have a pencil in your hand. And so what that effectively did is it got those 
controls and those different, you know, colors and other brush options, things like that. Got them to be, you know, as small as possible so that they're not covering up the canvas that you are drawing or writing on. And so it's just a really clever way to think through, you know, how can we make an app that is absolutely optimized for the Apple Pencil? Uh, another thing that they've done recently is they've implemented this quick toggle feature, which enables essentially um, using your finger. So if you touch on the screen, then it will modify the action that happens while using your pencil. So effectively, they're they're you know bringing the, your hand and, and touch input and the Apple Pencil uh, together to do unique things. And it's just another example of a, a clever way to you know, use the various input devices that the iPad supports. And so Linnea Sketch is a great app. Uh, another one I'll mention for sketching and illustration is Procreate. Um, Procreate is, as far as I can tell, the, the go-to app for illustration on the iPad. It has a really strong reputation. Um, I haven't used it much myself because I unfortunately am not very gifted in this area. And so uh, it's just, you know, I, I can't take advantage of the power that it presents. Um, there are several uh, family members that I have that are really good at, you know, drawing and and I just don't have that gift. Um, but one of my sisters, for example, she has used Procreate a lot in the past when she was doing, you know, drawing and illustrating work and, uh, and she loved it. And so uh, Procreate is definitely the app to, to check out if you need something a little more powerful, a little more advanced than maybe what Linnea Sketch offers. And then on the total opposite end of the spectrum, I want to mention Charcoal, which is a fairly recent app debut. It's a completely free app. Um, and what it does is it just takes Apple's Pencil Kit framework, which puts you know the various uh, markup tools that you'll find in Apple Notes that you'll find maybe if you are marking up a PDF inside of the Files app, for example. It takes those tools and gives you just a very simple stripped down app for quickly sketching, quickly drawing something, quickly you know using your Apple Pencil to to put something down in a new document. Um, it's very simple, but you know there's I think there's a a lot of people out there who don't need a lot of complexity in their sketching app and uh, charcoal is a great one to check out um, moving along audio and video apps what what are the good options here i will run through this because i am not an expert in this field at all so i will mention what i know but i'm afraid that i don't have any more details to share with our listeners because i'm not a video or audio editor uh but i can tell you that if you want to do any kind of advanced video editing on ipad there's only one option for you, and that option is called LumaFusion. This is the app that you need to use. If you want to have like a, an experience that is remotely similar to Final Cut, like this is the app to own on the iPad. It's incredible what it can do. Uh, it's, it does a so much more than iMovie, and it's so powerful on the latest iPad Pro hardware. I can tell you, Ryan, that five years ago, I used LumaFusion to put together uh, actually two dance videos for for my girlfriend and her friends. And, you know, they were very basic videos, of course, but I was impressed by how powerful LumaFusion was five years ago. Now imagine, that wasn't the first gen iPad Pro. Now imagine how much better this app has gotten with the 2020 iPad Pros and all the integrations that iPadOS has now. It's really incredible. Of course, it's no Final Cut. Like, it doesn't have all the features of Final Cut. But it gets very close, and a lot, and I know a lot of YouTubers 
a lot of video makers who have been using LumaFusion to go entirely iPad only and put together all their videos on the iPad. I would say go check out on YouTube. I believe he uses uh, LumaFusion and he's also very much an iPad user. Um, Christopher Lolly on YouTube. Uh, I hope I pronounce his name right. He's uh, an iPad user and he has this really good YouTube channel where he talks about iPad and working on iPad and iPad productivity. And I believe he uses LumaFusion uh, to, to edit all of, uh, all of the channel's videos. So that's really, really impressive. Audio. I mean, before letting you say a couple of things about, about the app that you use, Ryan, to edit, adapt, uh, you want to mention Just Press Record. Just Press Record is like fancy voice memos. It's like a pro version of the default voice memos app by Apple, but better. Like Just Press Record uh it comes with folders and iCloud Drive and I mean voice memos now has these features in iOS 14 but just press record also has native support for transcriptions so it uses a native Apple API that is secure and you know on device processing and all that to transcribe your voice recordings and actually make them searchable and and have a transcription of the recording right there in the app so if you want a better version of, of voice memos, uh, maybe because you're a musician or a journalist or, you know, I can imagine all kinds of use cases for this, uh, go check out Just Press Record, uh, and especially because of the transcription feature. Now, for audio editing, Ryan, especially for podcast editing, there's Ferrite on iPadOS. What can you tell us about Ferrite? Ferrite is the app that I use to record every episode of this podcast. And one of the great things about ferrite is that it can work with a variety of input options so i know for example that jason snell uh, uses ferrite often to edit podcasts and he does it largely with an apple pencil i have tried this once before um ferrite has great support for the apple pencil you can you know set up custom actions and uh, that happen when you double tap on the side of the pencil but Using the pencil wasn't quite for me in podcast editing. However, there are some really great options for keyboard input as well. And Ferrite's one of the few iPad apps I've found that lets you program your own keyboard shortcuts. And you can do it for a whole bunch of different actions. I don't know why more iPad apps don't follow this model. You know, lots of Mac apps do it, but but Ferrite does. You can program all kinds of different uh, functions in the app to the keyboard shortcuts that you want to use. And so uh, I've got the app set up exactly the way I want it to with the keyboard shortcuts that I like. And so I can keep my hands on the keyboard um, almost the entire time. And now actually that I have a magic keyboard with a trackpad, the few times that I need to, you know, input through something besides the keyboard, I can use the trackpad. And it's just a great experience. You can tailor the app to your needs. It's very powerful. You can use it for recording and editing if you'd like. Um, I usually record on a Mac and then edit on the iPad, but but Ferrite is uh, is definitely a strong option. Uh, Let me thank our final sponsor for today before we talk about our last batch of apps. Uh, This episode of Adapt is also brought to you by Paperlike. Uh, If you have an iPad, then you will know how great it is to store your notes, drafts, and sketches digitally. But sometimes, drawing with the Apple Pencil doesn't quite feel as good as writing on paper. Paperlike is the iPad screen protector for creators and doers. It lets you draw and write 
like on paper. Whether you're annotating drafts, taking notes, or sketching out your big ideas, paper-like can take things to the next level. By reducing muscle fatigue caused by writing on a glass tablet and by making your iPad feel just like a notebook, all while keeping the convenience of digital. Artists love paper-like too because it's optimized to create the ideal amount of friction and the right stroke resistance for optimal accuracy. So instead of sliding your Apple Pencil around on the glass surface, it feels just like a page in your sketchbook. And unlike other screen protectors, Paperlike enhances your viewing experience. It's made with superior display quality in mind. Paperlike never disrupts the experience of watching Netflix or YouTube, and the matte anti-glare finish even lets you enjoy screen time while you're in the sun, which it's summertime. It's a good time to get some sun. Uh, iPadOS 14 is adding some fantastic features for Apple Pencil users. Uh, We talked about them last episode, but things like scribble and smart selection and shape recognition. And if you are the kind of user who can't wait to get your hands on these features, then Paperlike is a product built just for you. Go to paperlike.com now to get yours. That's paperlike.com. Our thanks to Paperlike for their support of Adapt and all of Relay FM. We are on the home stretch here. Let's talk about images and graphics. There are a lot of apps to mention, but some of them are kind of beyond my my abilities and my experience in this area. But the first one that I'll mention is one that I use all the time, and that is Pixelmator. Pixelmator has been on the iPad for a while. I, I used it on the Mac before that. It's a great app where you can take different images and put them on a canvas, arrange them the way that you want to. I love how Pixelmator will you know, show you different, um, different markers to line up the images appropriately. Uh, things kind of snap like a magnet to, to the right spot so that everything is aligned properly. There's some great retouch features where you can you know, erase things from images and Pixelmator will intelligently, you know, make that image look like, you know, that thing was never there in the first place. Uh, Pixelmator is a great app. Uh, It's recently been updated with support for the document browser on uh, which essentially, as Federico explained earlier, brings you the files interface of the files app when you're browsing your documents. And so uh, I highly recommend Pixelmator. And uh, there's another app, which is also excellent, uh, Pixelmator Photo, And the main difference between Pixelmator and Pixelmator Photo is, as the title implies, the latter app is designed more for photo editing specifically, where you are making adjustments to a photo, you know, changing the the brightness, changing, you know, all the different things that you might want to do in a photo editing app, where Pixelmator is more for, you know, creating images or um, maybe modifying images that have all these different layers. Pixelmator Photo is more for photo editing, but they both have a similar interface using the document browser. Um, You can also access your full iCloud Photos library. Um, It's a really great app uh, and very, it keeps things simple. There's there's a nice uh, machine learning um, editing feature where with a single tap, kind of like what's available in the Photos app, uh, with a single tap, you can get some really nice, uh, enhancements and changes to make your image look great 
and then you can kind of adjust the settings from there. And so that's a really nice starting point is to just hit that machine learning button. Some other important apps in this space include Photoshop, of course. Adobe Photoshop is now finally on the iPad in not all of its glory just yet, but it's getting there. Uh, For a long time, Adobe's approach with the iPad was to just have a whole bunch of different apps that maybe took parts of Photoshop, but didn't offer the full Photoshop experience. Uh, Now there's actually a proper Photoshop app and they are, uh, Adobe is regularly updating that to add in the functionality that's not quite there yet compared to what's on the Mac, Uh, but but it's getting there. And so Photoshop, you know, you will know if you need Photoshop in your workflow, it's a great iPad app that's getting better. Um, If you are looking for a Photoshop alternative, uh, maybe you don't want to pay the um, Creative Cloud subscription fee that is required for Photoshop. Uh, Affinity Photo is a great alternative that is a one-time purchase. It offers lots of the power of Photoshop, but in you know a, a one-time purchase that is really designed well for the iPad. Affinity Photo has been around for a long time, and uh, you know the the team at Affinity has done a great job at making powerful pro-focused iPad apps. Um, another one in their lineup is Affinity Designer, which is for design work. Uh, again, similar interface to Affinity Photo. It's a one-time paid upfront purchase, but it gives you a lot of power in the area of design work. Another app that I'll mention is Vectornator. If you work with vector graphics, uh, Vectornator is really powerful. Um, I haven't used it myself, but just looking over you know, the App Store description and all the notes uh, and the reviews, it, it seems like it's definitely... Uh, one of the best options out there for working with vector graphics. And then something that's a little a little lighter, not quite as heavy, uh, Pastel, an app by Steve Troughton-Smith, which came out recently. Uh, I reviewed it on Mac Stories. It is a color picker utility, and uh, the app lets you create and choose from uh, existing color palettes. So you can create different collections of these palettes, You can use the app's different color picker tools to get just the right color. Uh, I'm using this to store important colors that I know I'll need later. You can use drag and drop to drag a specific color out of Pastel and into the app you're using, depending on if the app supports that. Uh, It works really well with the iWork suite of apps. And I've seen a whole bunch of apps since Pastel released that have added support for uh, compatibility. So... Pastel is a really nice uh, color utility on the iPad. And then our last category of apps, Federico, is development, which, you know, there's a lot you could say here, but... uh... Uh, Yes, I will go quickly, I promise. Um, So for development and and sort of coding and programming on iPad, there's a lot of options. So I will mention each one with like just a couple of sentences. If you need to use GitHub and manage your GitHub repos and collaborate with GitHub in all kinds of ways for code or markdown as we do, Working Copy is the best GitHub client uh, and Git client, not just GitHub, but really a Git client for iOS and iPadOS. You cannot go wrong with this one. It supports all kinds of modern uh, iOS and iPadOS technologies from opening place uh, to file providers to multi-window to drag and drop. It is incredible. 
Scriptable by Simon Storing is a JavaScript utility that lets you create JavaScript scripts, JavaScript, little JavaScript programs on iOS with a twist that you have access to uh, specific iOS frameworks such as the clipboard or notifications or uh, files. So you can, it's like Pythonista, what it used to do years ago. And in fact, I would also recommend Pythonista for the same reason, but for Python. And Scriptable does the same, but for JavaScript. So you can write custom JavaScript scripts and automations, but also integrate natively with native aspects of the iPhone and iPad. And these scripts, you can invoke as shortcuts in the shortcuts app. And Pythonista, I will mention, uh, no, same reason, but, but for Python. Obviously, Pythonista does not have the same modern integrations as, as Scriptable. Uh, I don't think there's any... Uh, there, there are no native shortcuts actions for Pythonista, but it's still a very, very good app. Also by Simon Storing, JSON. Uh, so JSON allows you to view and edit .json documents. So uh, it's a much better way to, to browse JSON dictionaries and structures. Instead of plain text, you have this hierarchy view that you can, you can open with columns, you can open with split views, and you have syntax highlighting. If you want to see those, those uh, JSON hierarchies as text, it's really well done. It's amazing. And you can even load. This is perfect in combination with shortcuts. If you have a, a shortcut action that retrieves uh, an, a response from a web API, you can load that response as JSON in JSON, um, and you can pass that data via a shortcuts action, or you can even preview that content in a rich notification from shortcuts. It's really fantastic. Codex. Codex is the closest that you can find to Sublime Text, the popular uh, text editor for macOS and PC but on iPhone and iPad. Codex supports multiple cursors, uh, custom key bindings, multiple themes. It's really well done. It's really fast. It comes with its own mini map, just like Sublime Text. Uh, it's free to use, and it integrates with the files picker, and it supports opening place. Similarly, if you need another text editor, I would say check out Textastic one of those other apps that has been around for a very long time, made by an indie developer, uh, really absolutely feature-packed text editor. It allows you to import uh, compatible Sublime Text and TextMate themes and use them on iOS and iPadOS. Also comes with rich integration with, the, uh, with custom keyboard shortcuts. It now supports the pointer in iPadOS, was one of the, of the first apps to support opening place for external files and folders, and it works beautifully when combined with working copy. So you can have that integration going. And lastly, I would mention, let's see, there's actually more in this list, Coria, which is this app that allows you to, to like create, sort of create your own games on, a, on, on the iPad. Uh, it's, I, I really... I don't have the right words to describe Kodia, but I just know that it's incredible. Like, go check out the website, go check out the promo videos and the demo videos to see what you can do. I know folks have done some really incredible things using Kodia. Um, also, from the same developers of Kodia, there's this other uh, utility that I'm just remembering now, and I really want to mention it. So, the same folks who do Kodia 
uh, also have this other app called Shade. And Shade allows you to create your own like custom shaders on iOS. It's a, it's a node-based, so it kind of looks like Quartz Composer by Apple, but for creating shades. So if you're working 3D graphics and you want to create custom shaders and like visual effects, you can do this on your iPhone even. And the, I mean, of course, this canvas view is perfect for the iPhone. But yeah, uh, again, go check it out on the App Store. It's free to use and then you can purchase the in-app uh, extras. Uh, really incredible and from the same developers of Kodia. And I love that uh, node-based editing view. It's it's one of those, like, it sort of reminds me of Quartz Composer, but also of Alfred, like the workflow editor for Alfred on the Mac. Really fantastic. And lastly, I will mention uh, Play.js. Play.js is a Node.js and React native IDE for the iPhone and iPad. So if you need to work with Node, uh, like, uh, you want to spin up a Node.js app, or you need to, you want to work with React Native, which is a web and app programming language on your iPad, you can do this with Play.js. And Play.js, it, it's fun because it looks like the default view of the app, it actually looks like a virtual desktop on your iPad. So go check it out. I know that a lot of folks have recom recommended this one to me. I don't know Node.js and React Native, but I mean, it's a, I will take any, any pro, you know, developer app for iPad that I can find. So I will recommend it on Adapt. Oh, man. Well, I so counted <laughs> over 40 apps that we covered today. Ooh, um, wow. Okay. 44, maybe some, somewhere around there. And, you know, this, I guess this episode has been the product of years of Mac Stories work and yes. testing different <laughs> apps. And so hopefully it's helpful for everyone um, we just need to round things out. So this has been episode 29 of Adapt. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Text Expander from Smile, Mint Mobile, and Paperlike. If you want to find show notes for today, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 29. All the links for all the apps we've mentioned are in the show notes. Uh, if you want to follow us online, Federico's on Instagram and Twitter is at Vitici, that's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N-T-L-D-R. And both of us are writing at MacStories.net. Well, Federico, get, get some rest. And uh, at this time, let's just uh, let's say goodbye to our listeners. Arrivederci. Bye.